All right, everyone, we'd like to welcome a special guest to the program, lifelong actor and general golf nut, Hollywood's own Bruce McGill. Thanks for joining, Bruce. How's everything going? You cooped up here in L.A.? I don't like to use the word cooped up. I, I like to use the word I'm at liberty to stay at home all the time I want. That's a, that's a great answer. So just sort of a little bit of background for our listeners. A few years back, Golf Digest ranked Hollywood's top 100 golfers. Uh, you came in at a tie for 19th, one spot ahead of Kurt Russell, and just behind a man that you, be- I believe you share a locker room with, and Andy Garcia. Uh, wow. So what are you doing to maintain that top 20 form during um, all of this that's going on? Oh, I, I had to let that kind of stuff go some years ago. I'm about 70 now, and I know that my scoring days are behind me. And I've I've found new joys in the game because, you know, I still play and I still love to play. But I can't I, – I hit a ball what I think is perfectly. It used to go, you know, 250-ish, and now I'm lucky to get 220 out of it. So uh, I, I don't I don't worry so much. It's taken a long time to not worry so much about scoring. But um, I, I have finally gotten to it, and especially now after the situation we're all living through now, the joys of the game are, are many besides what you shoot. Last year, the FCJ Amateur was at your home club of Lakeside Golf Club. Um, how cool is it to watch SoCal's best just absolutely bomb it around that home track, which was in fantastic shape as always? Oh, it was just a great – I mean, I saw you there, and I know you were there enjoying it. Maybe you had to be there, but I was there because, you know, this is cool. It was, was your birthday. It was your birthday. It, it was my birthday. That's right. And I thought, what a great birthday present. My wife said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I just want to go on over there and watch these kids mm-hmm. and uh, kids and grownups. You know, it's a, it's anybody. Yep. And uh, it was also nice to watch that nobody devoured that golf course. I mean, there's a classic example of an old course that's still fun for even top players. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, without any water hazards and without uh, enormous length, although, the you know, the it's the biggest par 70 course around. A lot of those par fours are, for me now, they're like unreachable. And that's I just quit worrying about it. I, I uh, just sort of put my ego in check and just said, Okay, you can par this if you one putt. So changing gears here a little bit, um, a few years back in 1978, you landed the role of D-Day in a little film called Animal House, uh, which obviously quickly became one of the best comedies of all time. How did you get involved with a role like that, which would eventually jumpstart your career? Uh, it was a pretty good gig. Um, I was uh, I came out of the theater. I was a stage actor, and I was doing Shakespeare in the Park at that time, which was my my forte was classic. I was classically trained, and I loved doing Shakespeare. It was a great, great training ground. If you can deliver that stuff, and it sounds like a real person, you can deliver anything that's well written. So I was doing that, and I was living in New York, and they came through to audition for that. And I, you know, I'd already done a, a good role in a studio picture, a film called Handle with Care, directed by Jonathan Demme. So I was, uh, I was above the masses, you know, I was past the cattle call stage. Mm-hmm. And I got called in and auditioned for it, and uh, I was rejected, told I didn't get it. And uh, a friend of mine at the time, he's gone now, but he was a, a dear friend, Doug Kenny, was one of the guys that wrote it. He was uh, used to be the editor of the Lamp- Harvard Lampoon and quite guy also responsible for Caddyshack. But he was a great guy, and he uh, he said, well, what, what happened? And I said, I don't know. He just said, no, not you. And it it turned out that what they were doing, because if you'll remember the film, D-Day didn't have a lot of dialogue. So in the audition process, they were just having the guys reading for D-Day 
read Belushi's lines, Bluto. And uh, it was a flawed, to say the least, audition process. And I didn't learn that until we were doing the press junket for the release. And uh, the director, John Landis, told this story to the press, and I happened to be in the same interview. He said, well, we were we made a mistake. We were reading D-Day auditioners with uh, Bluto's material, and so we were rejecting everybody. So the studio finally said, look, we're going to shoot in a week. you got to cast this part, or we're going to go have everybody on location for rehearsal in a week. You have to cast this part. And I'd already let it go. You know, you get really good at handling rejection as an actor, just like you do getting over a, a bad shot as a golfer. Just, you know, take it and move on. So what had happened was they were they were misauditioning. So he had just seen me in a, a production of, I think it was Henry V, Shakespeare in the Park. And so he had this list of scratched off actors from his final callbacks. I don't know, he said there were 20 or 25 actors still in the running, all of them scratched off. So he looked down and said, okay, who's the best scratched off actor on my list? Oh, I saw that guy last night in Shakespeare. He was really good, Bruce mm-hmm. McGill. So that's that's uh, that's the process, and that's how I got the job. Wow, how about that? And about uh, that? I believe we first see you ripping the motorcycle through the front door. Um, that is that's quite the scene. It's a great entrance, isn't it? <laughs> sure is. It sure is. So uh, the movie was filmed at University of Oregon, and all the yeah. actors were assigned a room at the nearby nearby Roadway Inn, I believe, if that's true. Um, uh, it was some kind. It was, I think it's now called the Red Lion Inn or the Red Roof Inn. Okay. Was, yeah, pretty yeah, low budget. Yeah, pretty. Well, you know, it wasn't horrible. If, you, if you've been a New York stage actor, it was, I won't say it was a step up, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, clean sheets and towels every single day. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. So rumor has it, uh, your room was, quote unquote, party central um, for the off <laughs> days. Is there any truth to that? Uh, it wasn't just off days. It was every night. <laughs> Legendary. The thing is, you see, you've obviously done some research. You may know this story too. We were, you know, we were all very excited to be there, and uh, we went out uh, with some local girls that said we're going to take you to fraternity parties because most of us had not had the fraternity experience in college. So uh, we went out. Long story short, we uh, went to the SAE house, which is a lot of jocks, and uh, they started screaming at us, and they basically a hundred of them or so beat us up. Because they, they said, you, you Hollywood, and you can't say this word anymore, but I'm going to say it because this is uh, quoting history. You, you, you Hollywood, get out of here. And, uh, you know, I don't think one of us was, uh, was even remotely homosexual. I think we were, we were red-blooded, women-loving American men. And, uh, you know, it, it was a shocking experience. So after that, we decided we'd stay closer to home. Plus, we were working, you know, we were working uh, – it was a relatively low budget for a studio, Universal Studio Pictures, so we were working very long hours, and uh, so we would get back to the to the compound, which was this, you know, side of the interstate roadway in or whatever it was. And uh, um, I'm a musician, and I play guitar and piano, and uh, I would play the guitar in my room, and I also was born and raised in Texas, and we knew how to party, and uh, uh, Oregon was a, a state store, liquor store. You couldn't just go to any store, like a grocery store, and buy liquor. So uh, I got a ride to the state stores, and I bought big bottles of booze so I could, you know, have a drink with the guys without us going out and risking getting hammered again by rednecks or whatever color the necks are up there in Oregon. And uh, <laughs> so people would come by the room, and I'd play and sing, and they'd sing along. And, and then one day I found a piano. 
in a storage closet where they stored all the uniforms for the waiters, all these red jackets and this little spinet. So myself and a couple of the Teamsters just liberated that spinet, walked it across the parking lot and put it in my room. And of course, management was, you know, <laughs> they were outraged. And uh, the, some guy who was just an assistant manager as we're carrying it, me and two or three burly guys are carrying this little piano across the parking lot to one of the buildings where my room was. And uh, he said, you know, no, you can't take this piano. And I said, oh, no. Listen, nobody's using it. It was back there. The keyboard was even facing the wall. You guys have another piano in your banquet space. So I'm writing a song for the movie, and they told me that I could borrow this. So uh, it'll be there. I'm not going to take it anywhere. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so he went, oh, oh, oh okay. That, you know, it was, the part felt bad for the guy. But so we had it in my room for a couple of days, and I came home from work one day, and it was gone. They'd taken it back. So uh, we took it again. <laughs> <laughs> In true, and, Delta, uh, in true Delta form. Really, really, when you look back on it, it was sort of a true Delta caper. Well, it was a victimless crime, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yes, that is true that we uh, we had uh, a great time. Yeah, well, two others that I know were welcome there are uh, two of your, your friends nowadays, Jamie Widows, who was Hoover, and Tim Matheson, who was Otter. You guys remain yeah. friends to this day and often find yourselves on the golf course. Um, I'd be impressed if your handicaps were as low as your GPAs. But, uh, you know, well, what about what about golf brings you guys together? Uh, well, you know, I don't I uh, Jamie is the guy that got me started playing. I played a little when I was a kid because my father wanted me to, but I never had clubs. I, you know, I just I would go out with him and use my mother's clubs because he was left handed. But um, one day, Jamie and I were doing the television series Delta House based on Animal House. And he wakes me up and I was a partier in those days. And so. 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning was like, I'd only been asleep for three or four hours. And so Jamie, who was six foot six, was said he decided he was getting custom fit longer clubs and that I was going to buy his golf clubs, which were Ben Hogan Apex 2 blades, I remember. And he, I said, get out, get, leave me alone, I'm sleeping, you know, get away, get away from me. And so I just said, okay, okay, I'll buy him 90 bucks. I paid him 90 bucks for this uh, set of beautiful irons, which I didn't realize when you start out, you should probably have a little bit more forgiving a club. But um, that, he got me started. So he and I have a real deep bond of golf. And then Tim and I, Tim and I were really close friends. And uh, when I was coming out of a Broadway show in the early 80s, I think I, in 84, I gave my two-week notice and left. And Tim and I went to Scotland and played golf all over Scotland. And it was just fantastic. It was great. Yeah, that's really cool. The birthplace of golf over there. I'm sure that was a, a great time. So some years down the road, you land a role as Walter Hagen in The Legend of Bagger Vance. Now so, you're talking. I, I have to say, as a golf show, you spent way too long on an animal house. <laughs> well, I have an affinity, and I owed it to my father, who is a big Animal House fan. Um, I really will give so, you my best, and you guys have yeah. a lot of class, all low. Yeah, will do. Uh, so for the record, I think Bagger Vance is a criminally underrated golf film, and I'm not just saying that because I got you on the phone here, but, you know, knowing your affinity for the game, did you seek out that role in a golf movie, or did it just happen naturally? Oh, well, God, I, I didn't even know it was happening. I mean, I'd read the book, and I was actually in the middle of the Pacific Ocean sailing a small boat from, um, I bought the boat in Hawaii and sailed it back to Los Angeles, which, if you know sailing, that is like one of the worst trips in the world because it's against wind and weather. And there's nothing between Hawaii and Los Angeles but ocean. And it's against uh, 
the trades and it's a it's a it's a very very grown up sailing trip so that's where i was i was in the middle of the ocean and i got into marina del rey without major incident it was a fantastic life you know life changing great trip mm-hmm. and i get a phone call i mean i still had sea legs i couldn't walk i looked like a, i was smashed drunk i mean i could walk if i try to walk a straight line it just was not possible because we'd been at sea for so long and uh, you learn that sea legs are a real actual thing and it takes a, a few days for your inner ear to realize you're back on land and to, to straighten you up. So I get this phone call about that role in that movie and I was like, oh, yes, God, yes. So, and I usually don't do this. I don't usually dress up like the part and, and put too much of a hard sell on it, especially after I'd done however many movies I'd already done when I got that call. But in this case, I wanted it so bad, I shaved off my sea beard, slicked back my hair because I knew exactly who Walter Hagen was. And I took some hickory shafted clubs that I happened to have just, you know, as like things to look at, mementos. I didn't play with them. But I got some clothes that I'd worn in a, uh, in a 20s era play, some white, beautiful white uh, wool trousers and a one of those V-neck tennis sweaters. And I so I spiffed myself up as Hagen and uh, took the spikes out of a pair of old golf shoes so I could drive my car and walk <laughs> and go into the, the, into the offices at Universal. And I went in there with this hickory shafted club and I, I, and I knew what I was doing and I was, nobody was going to whip me. And, and you also had to be a single digit handicap with proof in order to audition for either Jones or Hagen. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it is. Well, Robert Redford, who was, and you know, I loved working with. He was a great, great director, and uh, he knew he had a non-golfer in Matt Damon, who, who's, who, bless his heart, he worked till his hands bled getting ready to play that part. But nobody can learn a real golf swing in five weeks. It's just not possible. So uh, the the uh, you had to be single digit with proof, and I was. And it was not like just your agent says, "Oh yeah, he plays golf all the time. He's a terrific golfer." It's like uh, agents tell them, oh, yeah, Westerns, oh, yeah, he rides, he's born in the saddle, rides like the wind, and the actor's never been on a horse in his life. <laughs> so right. you had to have proof, and even with, uh, and I had a handicap at the time, um, so even with proof of the SCGA handicap card, you still had to be uh, put on on uh, film. There was a crew there to, to shoot you, and when I got in from the sea, they were already in Savannah, and I was in L.A., and the kids that came out to video my swing didn't know what they were doing. So I said, look, let me direct this episode. And I stood up on a the, the kind of narrow edge of a fountain at Robert Redford's L.A. offices and so that they could put their lens about belly button height the way they shoot most uh, you know, golfers for Golf Digest and stuff like that. So you can see where everything is and it's not a, a skewed angle. And so I, I just said, okay, shoot this. And I did a few swings and I said, okay, now go over to the side and shoot that so they could see, you know, line of flight and they could see me directly on and they could see me from behind. And so they, that, that, uh, that went to Redford who was in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, by the time I got back from, you know, the audition and, and that thing and his offices, um, this, the uh, disc that they'd burned had been taken to Redford's house stuck in the machine. He'd seen it and he said, that, that's the guy. So that's I had the, the part. I, I came in out of the rush hour traffic and got into my uh, my house and there was a phone call and uh, there was a congratulations, you're going to play Walter Hagen. I did, every one of the shots hit in there was hit by me, including the 
the two iron off the beach in wet sand without my shoes on. Yep. While while you were smoking a dart, you had to put it down <laughs> for that. Honey. That's right. Yep. And I practiced. I didn't smoke when I got the part, but I told my wife I got to practice smoking because yeah. it's really important when I get ready to do that shot that I flick that cigarette like a guy mm-hmm. who smoked a million of them. And I got by the time I got there because I practiced so hard, I could flick it a uh, lob flick through the frame. I could flick it hard across the frame. I could flick it high or low across the flame. I mean, I could have, I could almost have flicked it into golf cups from. Yeah, that's feet. that's just pure talent right there, Bruce. Nope, that's um, skill. That's not talent. Skill, skill. That's just that's skill right. and hard work. It's hard work smoking all those cigarettes. My wife said, "Sure, it's hard work." <laughs> so, you know, drinking and fl- drinking whiskey and smoking cigarettes, you poor boy. Yeah, you poor boy. So, Bruce, I'll leave you with this. This has been wonderful. But you know, being the avid golf- avid golfer that you are, I know you're hurting like all of us not being out there. What are you looking forward to most when you're able to get back on the golf course? And you cannot say the double tequila. Uh, no, no, uh, strictly the golf, uh, just the, uh, the the reunion with an old, old friend, the game, old man par. And now, I mean, I mean, it used to be uh, baby birdies that thrilled me. Now old man par at Lakeside is a thrill. I mean, you know, on the, on the easier holes, it's not a thrill, but on those that I can't reach in two, um, if I par, you know, 14, 17, eight, oh, man, I'm stoked. So I'll miss that. And of course, Let's never forget that it's a social game and uh, the the society of, and the company of friends that are. And the other great thing about golf is it's such a humiliating game that you you don't meet many egotists who continue to play the game because they are they are humbled, you know, every time they play. Everybody misses shot, including the very best. So you you're you're like-minded in that you love the game, but you're also like-minded in that you. You can't for very long play that game and have an un, you know, inflatable ego. Well, Bruce, thanks again for joining us here. You bet, uh, Jonathan. I think it's a great thing you're doing. It's, it's a great, uh, you know, great escape now. I mean, I'm finding all kinds of things besides watching. Uh, I manage my own money, and I watch that pretty carefully because that's very interesting. And yeah. I watch cooking shows because I'm doing all the cooking because I'm a good cook. So it's nice to do to turn on. And I watched Max Homas, and I really enjoyed it. What a classy, oh, well-spoken guy. Yeah, I did. Well, I wasn't yeah, going to just – in fact, that other, what, what pictures of me are you going to put up? It better not be the fat ones. Uh, probably <laughs> mostly. Uh, we'll probably do like a slow-mo of you flicking the cigarette, you know. No, we'll that's do, uh, very cool. We'll do, we'll do frame by frame, frame by frame. We'll definitely D-Day will be in there. Okay, um, D-Day so. or Hagen are perfectly fine. Okay, we'll, we'll make that happen. And uh, I'm still going to hold you to – uh, your promise of getting me out there with you, Hoover, and Otter. All right. Let's okay, I'll tell you Animal, you're animal House Foursome. I'm, I'll, okay. I'm there. You name the date. You know, they may be, you know, maybe we'll just make, put a little squeeze on them this time. They sort of, yeah, 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 yeah maybe that sounds a great idea. And then yeah. It doesn't follow through. But certainly, well, even if they don't, you come on out there and we'll tee it up. All right, Bruce. Well, until then, uh, stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, good health to you. All right, farewell. Well.